Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 16 of Popcorn Peeps, the movie podcast. Okay, sorry. This is a lot of pressure, Jordan. It's all right. Take your time. Let me try again. <clears throat> Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 16 of Popcorn Peeps, the movie podcast where we discuss the top 100 movies ever made as decided by The Hollywood Reporter. Today, we're discussing movie 85, David Fincher's 1995 movie, Seven, starring Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Kevin Spacey. My name is Sarah, and tonight I am joined by jaded and close to retiring detective Craig Moore. Oh my god, I'm close to retiring? I'm so excited. Hi, everybody. Young rookie detective who won't shut his mouth, Jordan Costa. I got a lead, boys. We got him this time. And our resident psychopath, Chris <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everybody. Premise, briefly, is two detectives hunt for a psychopath who is committing murders inspired by the seven deadly sins in an unnamed metropolis. So to kick it off, I wanted to get what your history was with the movie. Have you seen it before? How did you remember it? Did it live up? And if you hadn't seen it, what are your first impressions? I saw it in the theater. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> He's OG. I asked Jen if she wanted to watch this film, and she goes, what's it about? And I said, I know literally nothing, and I'm not even going to look at the synopsis before I go into it. And thank God I didn't. Otherwise, some of the, the shock value might have been lost there. Your weak tummy Jordan might not have been able to handle it. <laughs> Man, I was scared of the guy getting his ear cut off in Reservoir Dogs. I saw the third sin in this movie, and I'm just like, Jesus fucking Christ, I got to close the monitor. I'm going <laughs> to fucking puke. I had seen this before once, and I didn't remember anything. I think I remembered the ending, but all of the murders and the sins, I couldn't remember what they were about, what they looked like at all. So it was nice watching it because it was a bit of a surprise for me too. I actually walked into my roommates watching the final scene of this movie in university and never knew what they were watching until I saw it yesterday and realized like, that's what they were watching. Um... I had no idea. I wasn't even listening to it. I was just watching like, what's in a box? Something about a box? What are you guys doing over there? <laughs> so this movie would have been absolutely ruined for me if Chris hadn't ahead of time said if you don't have blackout curtains wait till sunset to watch this movie because it was so dark it would have been impossible to see anything right. happening in this film without blackout curtains so watching it in the theater was probably incredible oh my god yeah it was like you know those close shots on John Doe's face and the whole actually the whole detective mills at the end where he's trying to decide imagine that like 20 feet tall. It was a really interesting movie to watch and I had never seen it before and you know what? I'm I'm kind of regretting not having watched it earlier. I'm regretting of watching it at all. Interesting. The shit was fucking gross. We both carry. This movie was only nominated for one Oscar at the time for best film editing which it did not win but just to provide some color the movie that did win that year was something we've already watched on this list. Braveheart. Oh Chris's fuck! Leg. <laughs> My heart! <laughs> <laughs> oh. Hold on. Neither what? of those the movies were well edited. Fuck. Braveheart won for Best Picture. This movie was only nominated for Best Editing. Oh, sorry. I th I thought what you had said was that Braveheart won where this movie had lost. So my my mistake. Braveheart won for Best Picture the same year. So just that's the bar that's been set. Kevin Spacey did win an Oscar that year, but it was not for this movie. It was for The Usual Suspect. So without further ado, let's get into it. So let's discuss the first two murders in the first half of the movie, Gluttony and Greed. We're introduced to our main characters, Detective Mills and Morgan Freeman. I forget his name. <laughs> William Somerset. I thought they were whipping out the big guns with this first murder scene. This was not the big guns. This was the pistol. 
there was more to come. I thought the load had been blown. I'm like, okay, if I can handle this, I can handle what's next. No, this is grotesque. His veins just flowing through his body, the huge bulge, the room itself, the roaches and the set design. It's just brutal. And it really sets the tone very quickly. And what this movie does best is tone. It is bleak, it is ruthless, it is relentless. And this sets that tone from minute one. It sets the tone and it keeps the, the tone with good consistency and, and it ramps up at a good steady slow pace so if you notice with gluttony the first murder it's very much like like what you hear about serial killers the first kill is kind of it's like super premeditated and it's it's a little bit more it's more subtle like he he didn't have gluttony like plastered on the door outside it was hidden behind the fridge and you know he it wasn't outright a murder hey this guy could have just died of a heart attack or something and then they had to look a little deeper to figure out that it actually was a homicide one part of the scene that felt a little weird to me was when they were trying to figure out if it was a homicide and the guy's legs were tied together <laughs> and then it wasn't until later that they realized and then i forget what it was that tipped him off and he's like oh man this looks like a homicide <laughs> really that's the tip it wasn't that he was tied to the Craig, are you kink shaming <laughs> maybe we saw the angle of the feet from below they didn't see it he had to bend over to see it but that's your job yeah he got he got there so when i what you're saying is i'm a better detective I think you're right. But we got to loop back. Yes, the, there was the sins, but you tell me the intro didn't get you guys? What are you specifically referring to? Yeah. Uh-oh. I don't think it did because I don't remember it. Yeah, not overly. I don't know if you guys would recognize it, but it's a remix of Closer. Closer is not Nine Inch Nails' best song. Was that ever <laughs> was someone debating that? Chris said it, so it had to. <laughs> no, it starts off with a remix of Closer. You see all these little details. If you're paying attention, you actually see John Doe cutting off his fingerprints. Really? Well, I didn't even think that was hidden i i thought that was just part of the intro i was just like okay yeah it's a movie about a serial killer okay so i was eating a plateful of chinese food laying in bed while the intro is playing and so this might have been my bad guys i thought it was a cool intro but i didn't really pick anything up from it I was like, yeah, I get it. It's a psychopath. And then I didn't recognize the song until the very end when they put the lyrics in. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, Nine Inch Nails. So anyway, about the tone. I think the fact that the city is so obviously identifiable as New York or New York inspired, despite the fact that they never once call it New York, is brilliant visual design. It was based on one of the director's trips or one of his brief stints living there. But they do such a good job of establishing a New York feel without overtly telling you with the subway and like the diner setting and stuff like that. I thought that was was a really cool piece of set design that I think was a little bit more subtle. Yeah, it was. It's based on the writer. He apparently lived in New York while he wrote this and he says he took his inspiration from that and he would never have been able to write this script if it hadn't been for his time there. The city was the fourth main character. Yeah. The only thing you ever see is a New York pizza. But that place is in California. That's where it was filmed. The, and so I, that's exactly what I was thinking. Are they telling us this is New York or is it like a red herring because you could have a New York pizza anywhere in the world? Exactly. And you guys didn't like that grimy, the grit and grime. I just love that, like, the world had so much more texture than the real world. Which kind of reminds me of Blade Runner in the same way. Well, cyberpunk is built on that foundation of, like, grime and low life and not a dystopian world, but, like, the dark underbelly of society. Yeah, so if you're looking for a movie that really gives you that gut-wrenching, down-to-earth kind of feel, this is a good one. Yeah. Okay. Sarah, do you want to talk a little bit about the characters in that first scene? That's where we're introduced to both of them, and the murders play out kind of in the background as we're getting to know these two people and how they work with each other. I thought it was a great way to show their different 
different take on just how they handle a crime scene and you do see that Brad Pitt is more gung-ho for it a bit more uh, reckless and I liked that Morgan Freeman puts him in his place like go knock door to door which one was the second one was it Avarice what Greed? Gre- Greed was, was Greed? second. Was the second yeah. one? God, I don't even remember Greed. Eli Gold. I didn't even remember it. Yeah, that was the lawyer. Are we not talking about the characters anymore? So I liked how it was set up with the two characters, and I bought the relationship. Oh, 100%. You're right, Sarah. Totally. Because Greed was when they started working together. Because they were at each other's throats. Kind of, well, not at each other's throats, but they were dysfunctional for all of Gluttony. And it wasn't until they started picking up some clues in Greed that they started like, okay, maybe we can actually do a kind of a weird disjointed team effort. I did like that. But yeah, Sarah, you're totally right. The thing that I got, and this may just be me reading into the subtext, I think that Somerset might be a little irritated by Mills because he sees Mills at the other end of his career and maybe sees some of his younger self in him. And kind of sees him at the other end of that ideological spectrum of the, I think people are bad and the world is bad. I think people are good and the world is inherently good kind of spectrum that he was speaking about the whole movie in his kind of soliloquy moments. Well, the thing is what's cool is that both of them are completely on different ends of their career, right? And Mills hasn't had that ideological degradation that Somerset has gone through. But despite that, they both still are able to learn a lot from each other and their perspectives bounce off of each other really well. Similar to the way that Up does it with Mm -hmm. Russell and... Please don't use... What's the older fellow's name? Those two movies in the same sentence. Well, no, they're foils to each other and their personalities are so different. They're able to learn a little bit how to balance each other by utilizing some of the characteristics of the other individual. And I think that's a great way to allow them to grow together as a team. Do you think that Mills really grew? Of course. Really? You think Mills grew? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. No, I think if he grew, it would have been a different ending. I think Mills had the opportunity to grow and he failed to grow. I think he was hot-headed, but I think in the heat of the the moment when they were going case by case, I think he really learned a lot from Somerset. I don't know. That's how I read into it. He learned a lot for the job and in relation to doing the work. I don't think he learned a lot about himself. I would say that he learned the domain of these cases, but he was already been on homicide for five years it's not like he was a newbie detective he was just new to the city true and he was a corner cutting kind of guy right like you saw somerset go to the library and check these books out and read them and, and he had someone else to go to pick up the cliff's notes <laughs> that was for funny him. total high school craig move i was a cliff notes abuser uh, or spark notes in my day <laughs> That's what I called it too when I was watching. I was like, oh, is he looking at Spark Notes? And then I remembered that was online only. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I, can inf- I can infer. Getting back into it, I think the second murder isn't nearly as, like, normally you would have, like, an escalation, right? Or you would try to continuously build towards your climax so your audience would always be expecting something bigger. But I thought the greed kill was a little bit tamer than the gluttony kill. And so I thought, that's why I thought that the ammunition had been spent in the first scene. Is that just because you didn't see like we didn't see the pound of flesh sitting on the scale we only saw it in a picture is that because you saw like gluttony's body there that you thought that that one was a little more gruesome versus just looking at the pictures of a crime scene but i think the actual act of maybe cutting chunks of yourself off is more gruesome 
I agree 100%. That's what I was just going to say. That one just didn't hit me as hard. I don't know. Maybe the third one hit me harder because I thought the second one wasn't as bad to suffer through. So pro tip, if anyone ever ties you down and says the only way I'm going to let you out is if you cut chunks off your body, just let them kill you because there's no way that serial killer is letting you out of there alive anyways. Agreed. I would just die. I'd just be like, okay, just shoot me then. Fuck you. Where would you get one pound that you could cut off of you? That Like me, no problem. I give you like two. My butt. <laughs> oh, shit. <sorry. laughs> Do I need a second leg? Could someone 3D print me a new leg? You're going to be there for a long time. How are you going to cut off a leg with a knife? You have bones there. I didn't drink a lot of milk growing up. I think I might have an easier time <laughs> getting through it. It's like chicken bones. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah, osteoporosis coming in clutch. Let's go. Yes, we had the oh. second murder. Greed uh, was the murder of a defense lawyer in town. Brad Pitt's wife, Gwyneth Paltrow, invites them over for dinner. They seem to mend fences, talking about the case. Somerset is still set on retiring. However, they seem to have some kind of breakthrough. They go back to the site, and all of a sudden, Somerset's back in, all in. Keep me on. Did you buy that this dinner and evening together would be able to mend that relationship? Did it happen too quick? I don't think it had as much to do with the relationship as it did with Somerset, his personality and his career. The guy is addicted to puzzles. He loves solving the puzzles and he saw one in front of him and was he was like, yeah, mm -hmm. sure would be nice to retire on Friday, but the list looks like <laughs> this thing's probably going to go all weekend, so I'll stick around just to see it through. really felt like he wasn't interested in meeting them at all. I just, I feel like he felt like he was obligated to humor them just because of the outlandish way that Tracy reaches out. And at that point, really, all he has in his life is his job so once dinner's over I mean that's where his mind goes back to and that that's how they get connected back into solving the mystery and how they build the bond between the main characters what did you guys think of Tracy you mean Princess Peach yeah I have a point to talk about women's portrayal in this movie at a later time she was just another Princess Peach man I believe their relationship I believe it because they told me they were married okay uh, but it was a like it it definitely wasn't like a storybook she's definitely given up stuff so that he could have the things he wanted there's that scene where she starts to get upset when somerset asks her how do you like new york like she she starts to cry almost and he like holds her hand and says you know things take time to get used to right like he's telling himself that much as her she is no doubt a macguffin but she's used in a really clever way to really flesh out uh, Mills as a character because it paints him as selfish, right? Not not necessarily selfish, but he's so gung-ho about being the hero and trying to be a superhero and trying to clean up this city that he's willing to make such severe sacrifices and destabilize his home life to do this. And it shows how much drive he has to push himself into this line of work. And I think it really painted his character. It gave him some more color. It fleshed him out a little bit. Yeah. And I think that Tracy was a good way to do that. So I'm going to give some relationship advice to all of our listener and hit you with this. If you're unhappy for whatever reason, talk to your spouse about it. When has counseling ever helped? You didn't say counseling. Pregnant? You just said talk to your partner. It's sarcasm. Talk to your partner. I hate this city and I'm pregnant and I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it here. I can't find a job and I can't make any friends. Then tell your husband you need to go home. Yeah. But it, it characterizes her too because she cares enough about him and she knows that this is his dream and what he wants to do and what really drives him as a person. And so her self-sacrifice builds her character just as much as it builds his character. 
but I don't think it builds his character that much because you can't really pin him as selfish if he doesn't know he's being selfish. Oh, come on. She fucking hates it there and he knows it. How's he know it? He's a detective. I think he hates it as well. Oh. But he wanted this opportunity. It was a growing experience for him and obviously she made the choice that her grade five teaching role was negligible. So she chose, she could have stayed. She chose to pick up and go, I'll support you, I'll go with you while you try and advance in your role. That's interesting. I've never, never had the insight that maybe he hates it there too. Well, they live in a house that shakes because of the subway. Like he doesn't seem like he enjoys it. I just took it that this was a great career opportunity for him. He doesn't enjoy it, but it's a concession he has to make to do what he wants to do for the police department. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't love the home life, but it's what he needs to do to facilitate the other elements of his life. I don't know what would have made their relationship better for me. I thought the relationship was great because it was dysfunctional, clearly toxic, but it wasn't entirely so, right? It was a shade of gray, right? So you have your happy moments at dinner. You have your sad moments with the with the train and with the... How do I want to phrase this? There's like two different goals going on here and they're trying to make it work and that humanizes them because relationships in life is all about compromise. It felt real. It felt like typical of a lot of relationships. You're trying to make each other work. You're trying to make each other happy, but at the same time, you're trying to pursue what you want to do. And as such, it felt organic. It wasn't a healthy relationship. It wasn't a good relationship, but it was totally believable. I don't know if I bought her going to Somerset for advice. She has no one else to go to. Yeah, but he is no one. You have a phone. I was confused why she would not have called anybody back home. Like, do you not have any friends? Do you not have any parents? Just pick up the phone and say, oh my God, I hate it here. Versus your husband's partner. I feel like that would put him in an awkward spot that you're now... You don't know what her life was like back home. They don't give me any hint. Back in 1995, long distance was really expensive. Oh, don't even give me that crap. Yeah, it was it was expensive, but come on, to call your mom because you're unhappy, that was what people used yeah. to do back in the 90s. If you were upset, you'd pick up the phone and call your mom and call your friends and talk about it. People don't do that now. They just internalize it and post all the good things on Facebook. But back then, you used to actually pick up the phone and talk to people. This was an opportunity to get out, to meet somebody face to face. Like you don't like I understand that she doesn't really know Somerset that well, but there's something comforting about being there with a person and getting out of your shitty house and your shitty apartment and just getting some fresh air at the same time i'm sure she's also calling her mom and her sister and her aunt or whatever but you can only spend so much time in that shithole of a box before you just need to get out and get some air and this was an opportunity to do so it sounds like some covid influence and vent to somebody who has experience in new york she was also asking somerset about his experience in new york and how to cope and how to adapt and she wasn't going to get that from somebody way back wherever they came from that's true so her solution was to go meet up with some guy that she met for two hours over for dinner and pour her heart out to him i don't buy it and to burden him with your secret that you're having a baby when he works with the guy yeah like that was kind of weird to me too but they had to get that out to make her more sympathetic for the ending which we'll get to yeah they had to find a way to tell us that so then we have the next three blocks of murders sloth lust and pride and we see somerset and mills you can't lump these together sure you can getting on with each other i've lumped them together and then we come into our denouement you can't sloth is the point in the movie where i said nope fuck this piece of shit my god gee think we all noped the fuck out on sloth holy shit okay it's gross it's gross they walk into the room the moment he fucking moves i shit myself and i think that's it 
Can I get away with talking about the second half of this podcast without watching it? Because my God, do I want to turn this shit off. I was so scared. Oh, Jordan. So Slot, we find out, is a rapist. He molested children. His fingerprints were found at the greed crime scene. So they think they have their man. They go over there and bust into this house to arrest this fellow. And they find this emaciated body on a bed. And everyone thinks he's dead for the most part. And then the SWAT guy gets close and turns out he's not wakes up teeth coming out of his face kind of thing that's so good the practical expect i read that they didn't tell the swat guy that he was going to move so that is an actual reaction that's cruel that's got to be against some like workplace uh if they have a union his director is going to be in trouble screen actors guild Mm -hmm. acting is reacting (laughs) so we find out that this sloth murder i'll use in quotes because he's still alive was actually in play for a year our john doe psychopath killer had him into the bed this whole time had cut off his hand to be able to use those fingerprints and kept him just enough alive to keep taking pictures of him every day and to draw this out so what did you guys think of this do you think john doe is walking around the subway and small talking with people and someone goes what are you into like photography man i love it and you're thinking oh he's taking pictures of mountains and landscapes <laughs> meanwhile his backpack's Birds. full of pictures of this fucking sloth guy sloth that, was, guy. that, was, that was crazy <laughs> af that was super super scary it's it i jumped it was so so creepy it was awesome i've seen it like six times and i jumped the detail like the hand is missing and that's what he takes to put the fingerprints on the wall to spell help me behind the poster and then you see the hand later you see the hand in his apartment a trophy you know i like to hang the moose antlers on my wall this guy's like nope hand hand in the jar formaldehyde i was surprised that this movie wasn't nominated for makeup or something just based on the fact that work that they would have had to do to gluttony and then this was really involved too i read that it took 14 hours to get this guy to look like he did now as far as the other two go lust and pride i don't know about you guys they seemed to be kind of filler i thought so as well i agree wholeheartedly convenient that they're both women i like that you centered on that even though the lust was the guy it was a woman that was the victim yeah and we focused on the guy oh fuck that guy i'm personally glad a film with a razor penis never won an oscar the academy awards (laughs) is saved it will not be tainted by a knife dick I didn't think of it that way. (laughs) I think that that would make it better, but seriously. I might actually watch the Academy Awards. He was the only victim that I had no sympathy for because he uh, he was in a situation that he could have done something different and he just selfishly to kill the woman. The alternative was to just immediately die or be tortured himself. You don't get to choose your life over. You're like, he has an option. He has an out. His out is eating death. No, his choice in that situation was to choose to let his life go than to take someone else or torture someone to death yeah yes and he chose poorly but she's just a prostitute yeah they're not people like they're us not people like me i had no option different people with different ideologies look at prostitution in different ways but from what i saw what the sloth man did like raping the child was such a more heinous crime than prostitution that i felt like there was a bit of an imbalance there i thought the villain would be much more okay this sounds really fucked up the villain would be more relatable if all of these people were just scum fuck bastards horrible people the worst of the worst it would build a sense of understanding at least but the fact that this girl is just a prostitute and she deserved the same fate as some of these other terrible people felt a little bit weak and the fact that for lust you'd be killing the prostitute not the person who is seeking it out and paying for it 
Exactly. Yeah, totally. Who obviously has that want. That would have been the lust kill, would have been to kill the John. And I mean, sure, he's going to be suffering for the rest of his life, but it should have been reversed. You're right, Sarah. That is a big miss because the actual lust kill should have been killing the John. 100%. Absolutely. I never even thought about that, but that's a great point. Yeah, that is my least favorite of all the portrayals of the Sith. I think the point in the film where he needs to expedite his kill process is where the murders go from interesting, elaborate, creative ideas to just, oh man, guys, the project's due tomorrow. We got to slap something together. Yeah. Here's the thing though. This guy has clearly been planning this for so long that every single thing he did should have still been an immaculate kill. Mm -hmm. Just because your timeline gets cut doesn't mean you all of your ideas get thrown out the window. Yeah, because we know he's have put a year into it with sloth and then yeah these ones just seemed kind of quick he seems like the guy who wouldn't compromise on his vision so i'm thinking it just got a little bit lazy as it went on pride might have actually been the laziest so let's talk about that one so we have this woman in bed she had a painting of herself above it i'm not here to judge what that means for her one hand he had glued a phone in her hand and the other hand was a pill bottle he had cut off her nose and said that she can either call for help or take these pills and kind of end her own life choices hers and just be disfigured for the rest of her life. We're assuming I thought she took all the pills. This is the guy who tied Gluttony's legs together with a razor wire, but he's only going to glue the phone into her hand. He's not going to do yeah. some other fucked up twisted shit to her. Seems inconsistent. And if this is New York and she is some high society lady, that probably wasn't her nose to begin with anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. <laughs> yeah, that one felt rushed. I think that they were there for like five minutes of screen time it wasn't he cut it off and it said made in china (laughs) (laughs) between sloth and lust they track down who this john doe is so they go to his apartment he's coming up the stairs there's a shoot off there's a fight Uh, then we get into the apartment talk me through what you guys thought of meeting our john doe and seeing his rooms thought they were freaking awesome it's very very cool i just got a fountain pen super into writing with it this guy's got a thousand crazy journals maybe that's my next hobby who knows (laughs) yeah i'm a little bit interested that this guy who seemed so prepared for everything didn't have a contingency plan for the police finding his apartment like a firebomb or something. I wondered that too because when they go in I'm like why wouldn't they just flick a light switch and then I thought oh well maybe it'll set off a bomb but yeah nothing happened it was just literally all my stuff I didn't even put it behind a secret wall even though given that this is probably New York City and my apartment is huge hid some stuff it's just all laid out there. Everyone seemed to have giant apartments. (laughs) Everybody! Yeah that's a good point. What did he do for a living wasn't he was just a photographer wasn't he i don't know how he afforded that that trump penthouse suite he was independently wealthy but not greedy instead of buying all of these drugs consider philanthropy exactly (laughs) (laughs) i thought the design was beautiful the creativity and all of the effort going into designing this completely disgusting dungeon was was wonderful everywhere you look in the scene things are grotesque things are detailed it seems like no expense was spared for this spot and exploring it as uh, an audience member through the lens of the characters was awesome it was really cool to see it was really well done and i read online that the journals were actually all filled with yeah. stuff they had written in all thousand of them which was insane this sounds like a mismanagement of production funds i bet if you pull the random one off the shelf it'd just be like oh my god this director is making me write ten thousand pages <laughs> before the end of the month what am i gonna write about i don't know let's list all the pokemon bulbasaur charmander my <laughs> name is johnny i am an intern i had the option to go get coffee or write in a journal i picked journal it was a bad choice <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and they only showed like one or two books. Seems crazy. Yeah, exactly. I thought the same thing. But the scene wouldn't have the gravity if they weren't filled in. You don't even know that. What does it matter? I feel like they, just... as long as they open them and ruffle some pages, they would have the fullness. Artists are going to art, right? Nowadays, they'd, just, they'd be CG journals and it wouldn't even be a real bookshelf. It'd be a green screen. It would just be iPhone yeah. notes that he had going. <laughs> Scrolling through his iPhone notes. <laughs> I do like that everything was practical uh, in, the, in the movie. I don't think there was any special effects, like a um, VFX. Yeah, I don't think so. If there were, none of them looked jarring. And this is the 90s. They would have all looked jarring. So I think that he sped up the kills towards the end because the police were kind of on him. And that maybe that kind of explains why some of them started to get a little sloppy. But then at the very end, it was like the greatest, you know, all the world's a stage moment where everything comes together as if he'd been planning this out since he was 15 years old. I think one of the best scenes in the entire film is the car ride. They're going out there into the middle of the desert they've got him in the backseat they're finally getting a chance to kind of peel into his mind a little bit and kevin spacey does such a great job of portraying this sense of arrogance i love that he talks like he's talking to kindergarten children talking down to them condescending like you wouldn't understand my grand vision but only with mills i feel like he and somerset were on a same enough level that when they were asking or when somerset was asking questions it was at john doe's level where he didn't have to talk down and he was surprised at the questions that he was able to ask but i don't i think he and mills were an interesting dynamic because it was as you said very condescending he respected somerset a little bit more but it didn't change how arrogant he was about his game did the ending feel cheesy to you guys as well no the ending was the only thing to me that felt a little bit cartoonish or super villain-esque it felt totally out of tone for the rest of the movie. Is that because it was sunny? I think it's both. And I think the, the weather and everything was probably done intentionally because everything seemed almost like it was behind this gross, grimy filter. And it was all just kind of a little bit distant until the very end when at the same time it got real for, for Mills, it got real for us too. Was that not a choice, a directorial choice? As the mystery is lifted, so is the veil of darkness? I think so. And now that everything is out in the open to see, light shines down. Is that a piece of poetry that someone's trying to portray? I think I read that was a fluke. They had chosen to have it rainy the whole time for the New York scenes because they didn't want to have to reshoot in case it was inclement weather. So they just made it all inclement. But then I thought I read that, of course, the day they chose to go out and shoot this final scene, it was sunny. I like my answer better. It works, Jordan. <laughs> just edit him out. This movie's all about juxtapositions. You've got the, the Mill Somerset. You've got the... John Doe Mills, all these different things. So to end it in a world full of bright and open, because we've been locked into this claustrophobic space the whole time. And then all of a sudden we're in this open field. It's a new thing. But then we still have that intimateness between John and David and Somerset. Jordan and Craig, having not seen it, did the ending take you for a surprise? I think it would have been more surprising if nothing happened, to be honest, because the way it's set up, you're thinking, well, they're going to drive into a bomb or like his wife's going to be hanging there off of a telephone pole or something like that. I think this was one of the only moments in the film where my expectation matched the reality. And that was a little bit disappointing considering the kind of roller coaster that this had been up until this point. It ended kind of the way I expected it to. My first thought was, okay, so he's going to have killed 
killed the wife out of envy for his normal life, his normal, like, happy Cracker Jack kind of life. And then he's going to expect Mills to kill him out of wrath. And my first thought was, and then Mills isn't going to kill him because Mills will have a change of heart and he'll be a good guy. And then I was like, no, wait, this is a film noir, horrible world drama. He's just going to kill him. That'll be the end of it. It's not even wrath. It's justice. You got it wrong, buddy. It's wrath. Well, no, justice would be getting him to court. Nah. And if it's New York State, New York State has a death penalty. So, do you know about the other ending? Uh, where it was the box was a yes, that one. Oh, Matt, and her head just comes out. <laughs> that was the third, the third one. No, the other version that they were like going into. I don't know how far when they decided to abandon. I. I know they didn't shoot it because I've only ever seen like storyboards of it is when Summer Sut knows what's going on he kills John Doe so that so Mills career isn't just toast forever Mills can actually go on wow that's actually a pretty good idea for an ending because not only that but it also subverts the whole wrath thing it's like I didn't kill you because I was mad at you I, I did it to save him and then you ruin the grand design I like that ending better but for whatever reason they went the other way I would have liked that better well, I don't know if I like it better I think I would have liked any ending his plan wouldn't have been fulfilled i don't even think it's come to fruition because i don't i don't even consider what mills did wrath to be honest oh come on oh it was definitely wrath it was definitely wrath we're gonna look up the dictionary.com definition of wrath word of the day brought to you by popcorn peeps great anger that expresses itself in a desire to punish someone huh yeah perhaps this could have been wrath you might consider it the dictionary definition (laughs) of the word wrath (laughs) fantastic that couldn't have gone better for some reason i thought wrath had some sort of like um, um, Wormbird? Some Wormbird. sort of extra connotation to it that was not present here, but I was incorrect. My bad. I have a question that I like to ask people. What one of the seven deadly sins do you think defines you best? Probably greed. Definitely greed. Interesting. <laughs> or sloth. That's another thing I had talking about the sloth one is that guy wasn't really a sloth. Like when you're tied to a bed, I don't think you have much choice. Nah, he was forced. And I didn't like that one. But it was because he was a drug dealer. He took an easy way of living. Ah, I see. Preyed on society rather than contribute. Uh... He didn't contribute. He was just someone who did almost nothing and actually hurt society. This will surprise you. Probably wrath. (laughs) Wrath, interesting. That's interesting, Chris. Really? Have you not seen him roast all of these films on this list? It's got to be Wrath. True. Mel Gibson, what the <laughs> fuck do you think you're doing? Oh my god! Like you, you have to, you have to go on one drive with me, and you'll understand. For me, it's probably Pride. Yeah, Craig, you arrogant fuck. I think it's probably Pride. How about you, Sarah? Maybe Gluttony. I like to eat a lot. Yeah, Gluttony. Yeah, that's what I would pegged you for. Well, it doesn't come off for any of you guys. Uh, you either, Sarah. Jordan, do you want to talk about the music for this one? We have our Nine Inch Nail song at the beginning, and I know Trent Reznor and David Fincher have a long collaboration history together, but I don't know if you had a chance to listen to any of the other songs on this soundtrack. Hmm. Most of the soundtrack was comprised of a, a small man shrieking in his bedsheets. Um, so, you know, give or take some, some high moments, some low moments, you know. Are you the small man? Yeah. Okay, just checking. <laughs> So I'm like, I don't remember that. I remember some wicked good film noir over the top. Jordan spent 45 minutes thinking it was just a movie of screaming before he realized it was himself. <laughs> so I'll be Jordan for this one. You start off with Nine Inch Nails and like a remix. To even, it makes it even better. The rest of it is like dun dun dun. Like heavy strings and... I'll be Jordan. Dun 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 dun. <laughs> 
What the fuck do you think I do at the end of these episodes, Chris? Uh, I'm describing string flourishes and resonance, and you're just like, drum go dum dum. Hey, fuck you. I said string. You're doing great, Chris. Yeah. No, the, the music is reminiscent of film noir it seems very much like dragnet and things like that or uh the maltese falcon where it's over the top orchestral music there was a nice scene where in the library where they have that it's a waltz right oh the orchestra yeah and then the last track is heart's filthy lesson by david bowie are you giving the soundtrack a 10 out of 10 i'm giving the soundtrack a 10 out of 10 you know what i've really tied this soundtrack together a slumdog tear audio design oh my god <laughs> My sweet mother of God. I'm glad that... I thought the soundtrack was very suitable. I didn't think there was any particular track that stood out. I thought it was very complimentary to what was happening, but nothing really excelled to the point where I can remember it now. It just all kind of became background noise. Normally I make an effort to go back and re-listen to the OST and I was a little bit lax on this one. I went back and listened to a couple of the tracks, but nothing really grabbed me. I re-listened to the Nine Inch Nails track, the original and the remix. I thought both were meh. I'm, I'm going to cut you. Ooh, wrath. Flame him in the comments down below. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nails <laughs> you were talking about Nine Inch Nails. You shut your whore mouth. <laughs> so overall, how did you guys feel about the portrayal of women in this movie? It was a topic I wanted to touch on, given what a badass we had in Beauty and the Beast. And all I get from this movie is a crying widow, a prostitute who's been effed to death with a razored penis, and then Gwyneth Paltrow, who is on screen for 10 minutes and then her head in a box and we don't even see it. Film noir, from my understanding, is typically male-driven, but that doesn't mean you can't subvert expectations. Honestly, what this film felt like is men are supposed to go put on their suits, go to work, like women stand back. The men are here to do the big boy job, right? Was there even a female cop in the entire station? Yeah, there was the one who was taking the phone calls. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> Not good. Not a great portrayal of women. It got like a negative score on the Bechdel test. I thought so too. And I thought just after looking at Belle last week and how she empowered me and then watching this, it's kind of like, Ugh. It's just the era in which it was made. It was made in 1995. The 90s isn't the 60s. Kevin but Spacey had already molested like 10 boys by now. It was never trendy to be progressive in film in that era. What would have been really ironic is if Kevin Spacey was the one they killed for the lust. Twist. <laughs> I would like to bring up a moment I thought was really funny in the film. Of course. When he's shaving his chest to put the wire on and asks if he cuts his nipple off, he can get it. <laughs> his surgery paid for by Workman's Comp. Brad Pitt won Most Desirable Man at the MTV Movie Awards for this movie. And he is not shirtless one time. So while we were watching this movie, I said to my wife, he is so attractive, it's not fair. It's fine. If we all look like Brad Pitt, none of us would be the most gorgeous man. Someone <laughs> had to excel beyond the rest of us. A curse and a blessing. There can to be no greatest if we are all <laughs> equal. Do any of you guys have a favorite part or part you hated the most? You know what? I, I liked a fair amount of this movie. My favorite part was when they started going through all those journals. And I, I just looked at it and I was like, oh my God, that's what my bookshelf looks like. <laughs> <laughs> it's just full of half-filled journals with scribblings of nothing in them. 
So two things that really stuck out with me. I really liked John's basic soliloquy in the back of the cop car, the, you know, only in a world this shitty could you consider. And then he just goes on that monologue. It was brilliant. And the last thing, the Hemingway quote, the world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. And I think that's the last thing anyone says in the movie, right? I think so. To wrap it up, if you're following along on the YouTube, the list to our actual rankings as we're going through them is in the top of the description. You can also find it linked on our Instagram instagram account at popcorn peeps chris rank this sucker is it better than everything else on the list so far yeah yeah it is number one interesting what makes this film better than memento for you because they're very similar this one has more style i understand why you like it i understand why people do like it it's not catered to my taste but i can't disregard the fact that this is like i wouldn't call it a masterpiece but i would call it somewhat close what it does it does extremely well i'm gonna rank it at number six below reservoir dogs and above slumdog millionaire okay i can almost accept that i'm going to place seven at slot number five right below slumdog millionaire and right above close encounters of the third kind i think what differentiates the top half of my list and the bottom half of my list is is this just entertainment or is this something more as an expression of art and creativity and i think seven breaks through that and is able to rise above a lot of the films like rocky close encounters braveheart bonnie and clyde as something truly creative and unique i agree and while I thought it was ultimately disturbing and unpleasant to experience, I can't argue that this isn't just brilliant. I'm going to put seven in my third spot between Return of the King and Up. I liked Memento. It's still my number one. I thought it was more challenging as a viewer, and that's what I enjoyed about it. Return of the King is just such a masterpiece on such a grand scale. And for Seven, it did challenge me, but just the traditional storytelling of it was more straightforward, so I didn't think it was enough to trump Memento from my top spot. But I, I really enjoyed it. So two of us have good taste. I put it at five. What do you want? It's just Craig. Better choices. Chris, what are we watching next week, and where can we watch it? We will be watching 2010's Inception. It is actually fairly accessible. Netflix, Crave Plus, uh, Stars, and then Stars on looks like Amazon Prime. Thank you everyone for listening. Jordan, I'll turn it over to you to thanks our sponsors. I would like to extend a special thank you to our supporters on Patreon.com. Travis Laporte, Jim Wamsley, Ryan Cernan, and Frank Costa. If you would like to support the show, you can check out the link at the top of the YouTube description. Your support is never required, but always appreciated. So thank you very much. And until next time, talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks everybody. Bye. Thank you.